Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it out. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter one. Matthew one, if you don't have a traditional Bible, then you can go to the Welcome Center after this service. They'll give you one. It's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take one. In the meantime, we really want you to use your version app, or it's also called the Bible app because we've already uploaded all the notes and all the scriptures. If you don't have that app, you can scan this code and it'll take you there. If you're watching us online, let me pause because the last couple of weeks we haven't done this. We kind of changed our opener. And so my friend Jamie, who really runs our online campus, we call him shout out Jamie because he gives shout outs to people online and he runs our online campus. And he sent me an email and he said, "Uh, bro, I noticed two weeks ago when you did the opener, you didn't address the online campus. And then it's been a couple of weeks that that has happened. He said, I don't know if there's been like an internal decision that was made that we're only going to focus on the people in De Pere. But if that's a decision that's been made, let me go on record and say, I think that that decision is stupid. And I was like, in Jesus name. Yes. My boy, Jamie, keeps it real. That's all I'm saying. And so anyway, I met like five ladies at the event on Friday night who they hadn't been here ever. They've been online for like two years. And so they drove here to be a part of the event. And so if you're watching us online, I love you. And I am so glad that you are continually a part of our family. And so guys, can you believe that it's December? I mean, when you look outside, you can tell that it's December when you wake up and you need snow plows and snow boots and snow shovels. The devil is a liar in Jesus name. But I just want to know, like, how did that happen? Where did 2023 go? It's 22 days until Christmas. That's three Packer games. That's three weeks from tomorrow. Today's the first day of Advent, which isn't necessarily an evangelical thing. It's more of a liturgical thing. But nevertheless, millions of people around the world, they're going to start observing it in all sorts of different ways. Some cultures are going to light candles. Some are going to sing songs. Some are going to light different colored paper lanterns. Some are going to give a different dessert. Every single week, I want to be a part of that culture in Jesus' name. I actually think it's in Germany that they give a different dessert every single day. And I was like, huh. We fast, they eat a different, they are going to get to heaven in more of the fullness of who they are. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) And so if you don't see me for the next 21 days, I'll be with somebody German who's going to be giving me strudel and it's the only thing I know that they eat. So anyway, they're going to all sorts of different uh, strudels. There's there's one culture that they give uh, an apple every single day and it's wrapped in a different colored kind of paper. Of course, in the West, many of us, we use calendars that have different things in them, Lego figures, or, you know, for those of us who are saved, a different candy that's in there. Hallelujah. And, uh, and honestly, what's interesting is that most people don't even know why they celebrate Advent, Uh, but the word Advent just means expectation. The entire process is designed to build hope in us. And so I wonder, what are you anxiously waiting on? And what are you going to do in the waiting? I want to talk about that today in a message we're calling, Unto Us, A Child Is Born. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this worship. I mean, like I wanted to like go 
totally Clark Griswold on him and say, hallelujah. And like, it was just ridiculous, God. It was so great. Like I wanted to come out and either hug or slap everybody on this stage, God. Your presence was so, so real. God, during the prayer time, the message that... Like I, like, I feel like I could, just, I could just not even say a thing, God, other than just close this thing in prayer and send people home. There's such a sense of expectation. The God, this church has shifted. It's moved. The people who are in this building, they've shifted. They've moved. They've raised the level of expectation, not just upon others, not just upon themselves, but upon you. And so, God, we do that today. We put, we put you on the spot. We put you to the test. We got out, we put the boots on, the coats on, the hats on, we warmed up the car, we scraped off the windshield, we drove here, we slipped, we slid, we skidded. We didn't come here for nothing, God. We came here because we knew you were here first. And so today, God, I pray that you would fill the emptiness that's in us, the void that's in us, that God, thank you that unto us a child is born in Jesus' name, amen. I feel like we could just go home, really. It's, it's, the, it's the thing about it. But, you know, there's nothing that builds hope like pregnancy. Uh, that's evidenced in the fact that when a woman is pregnant, we say that she's expecting. Nothing creates expectation like pregnancy. I, I remember in 2001 finding out Sonny was pregnant with our first baby and being filled with expectation. And y'all listen, I started early too. I read the books, I painted the room, I put the car seat, the baby on board sign, the little Elmo mirror in the back seat. I was filled with expectation until I wasn't. As many of you know, that hope was dashed when we lost our little girl and a room has never felt more empty than when it's filled with an unused crib. But seven months later, we found out that we were pregnant again, this time with our son Isaiah. And with this pregnancy, I had less expectation. Even though he'd been prophesied, predicted, promised, my past devastation impacted my current expectation. And when he was born, I held my breath. Would we ever hear his little cry? Would he survive? Would he be healthy? He was, but I didn't really view it like a prophecy had been fulfilled. I viewed it like a bullet had been dodged. Uh, then 10 months later, we found out that we were pregnant again, this time with our daughter, Aubrey. And honestly, with that pregnancy, I had no expectation. Uh, getting pregnant again felt greedy. I felt guilty, like we were just pushing our luck. The words and the whispers of people rang in my head, like the words of our doctor who said, you'll never have healthy kids, you're genetically incompatible. Or the whispers of people in our church who said, why do they keep getting pregnant? They're being selfish. They're being irresponsible. Why don't they just adopt? And if I could be honest with you, I have dealt with the heaviness of that lack of excitement and expectation over my daughter for almost 19 years. It wasn't that I didn't want her. It was that I didn't want the hurt that comes from loss. The Proverbs say, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Uh, the story of Christmas is a story of expectation, a story of hope. I wonder where's your hope been deferred? But Christmas, it isn't just the story of hope, it's a story of fulfillment. Jesus, he was the fulfillment of a 700-year-old prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. And just so we don't get off in the weeds, a prophecy is just a prediction. 
It's, it's a promise. So 700 years before Jesus was born, God used a prophet named Isaiah to predict the birth or to promise the birth of Jesus. So, so as I read this story, many of us know this story. We've heard Linus recite uh, some of the lines. I, I thought, why don't I just give you a quick backstory so that I could catch you up on what you may have missed in the backstory. So uh, from 1090 till 970 BC, David ruled over the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah. Uh, history tells us that he ruled with integrity and with dignity, and he was designated as a man after God's own heart. And so because of that, God made a covenant. He made a, a commitment. He made a promise that a descendant of David would perpetually sit on the throne and reign over God's people in perpetuity. Upon David's death, his son Solomon would take his place in, in the kingdom. And although the Bible declares him to be the wealthiest and wisest man who ever lived, he had a weakness for women. Uh, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines from all over the world. And, and he dabbled in the religions of many of those wives and concubines and opened the kingdom up to outside spirits, to, to outside influences. Upon Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam, he took over the throne. He expanded the influence of those outside religions. And despite having more wealth than he could ever spend, he levied such heavy taxes on the people that they revolted. And the people split the kingdom back into two and the descendants of David would rule over Judah. About 200 years after that, a group of people called the Assyrians, which, which came from modern-day Iraq and parts of Iran and Kuwait and Turkey, the Assyrians were terrorizing the world, conquering one country after another. They were virtually unbeatable, being the first nation to make weapons out of iron. Their, their weapons literally would shatter the weapons of their enemies. The, the Bible talks about that. Uh, they were the first group of people to build chariots. They, they were the first army in the world to have a corps of engineers. The, and the corps of engineers would set up ladders. They would set up ramps. They would fill in moats. They would dig tunnels so that their soldiers could get inside of walled cities. They were virtually unbeatable. They were advanced and they were ruthless. Uh, but in 732 BC, Israel and her neighbor Syria, they decided to make an alliance so that they could stand against the Assyrians. But, but, but for their alliance to have the strength to actually make that stand, they needed Judah to join their coalition. Now, uh, Judah at the time was, was led by one of the most ungodly kings to ever rule, King Ahaz, who, who was in bed with the Assyrians and wanted no part of the coalition or the alliance. So Israel and Syria made a plan to invade Judah in an attempt to replace Ahaz with a king who, who would support their coalition and would join forces with them in their rebellion. When the prophet Isaiah learned about the plan for Israel and Syria to attack Judah, possibly impacting the Davidic line of kings, he went to Ahaz with a message of hope. This is what he said. He said, Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation. Make it as difficult as you want. Make it as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. Watch this. But the king refused. Hmm. No, he said. 
I won't test the Lord like that. Now, before you think this cat was holy, see, if you don't know people's background and you're just reading surface stuff, you may read that and misinterpret that like that's a holy statement. Many of us have heard that, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. That, it wasn't nothing holy about it. This, this guy was anything but holy. He, he had nothing to do with a commitment to God. He was steeped in paganism. He was steeped in pagan practices. And, and the pagans believed that once a sign was given, it was inevitable. Once a sign was given, it inevitably led to the next event. So knowing his own ungodly lifestyle, Ahaz would have instantly assumed that God was going to subject him to judgment. So that's why he says, I'm not going to test the Lord because I don't want the Lord to punish me. Isn't it interesting how the presence of guilt can take precedence over the promises of God? And so Isaiah said, listen, well, you royal, I almost feel like, like, listen, y'all, you read it however you want. I read the book the way I want to read the book. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? So like sometimes, sometimes I pick up a little sarcasm or maybe you wouldn't pick up sarcasm because you're not sarcastic, but because I'm sarcastic, sometimes I think they're sarcastic. So, so Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Like I feel like he's cussing him out right there. Just saying, listen here, you, listen here, you royal family of, family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? But now you've got to ex exhaust the patience of my God, my key word, of my God as well. All right, then. <laughs> That's sarcasm right there. Whatever. All right, then. Where you come, where you come from where I'm from. All right, then. That's, that's a walk-off statement is all I'm saying. You and I are going to have a conversation I'm going to say one thing. You're going to say another thing. I'm going to be right. You're going to be wrong. I'm going to say, all right, then. And then dip. That's just saying. You've learned a lot of slang in the last 10 years. That's one of them. So Isaiah said, all right, then. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Watch this. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But Ahaz was so afraid of the invasion that rather than calling on God, he called upon the king of Assyria to save him. And in a sense, it worked. Assyria defeated Israel and Syria and Judah was delivered. But that deliverance came with a steep price. Judah would be under the control of Assyria. Ahaz would be a puppet king. And everyone in his kingdom would be required to pay a tribute to the Assyrian, that's a tax, a tribute or a tax to the Assyrian king for protection in perpetuity. Ahaz had a choice. Seek God and trust the promise God had already made to him and his family that they would sit on the throne and lead God's people forever. The promise that no weapon formed against him would ever be able to prosper. The promise that greater is he that was in him than he that was in the world. He could trust in the Lord with all his heart, lean on it in his own understanding and all his ways. He could acknowledge God and God would make his path straight. Or he could doubt God, connect himself to his enemy, forfeit his blessing and subject his family to the bondage of sin and shame. He chose the blessing over the, he chose the bondage over the blessing because you'll never trust a God you don't have a relationship with. And so because of that, a virgin didn't conceive. 
She didn't give birth to a son who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Hope was deferred for 700 years until a man from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David named Joseph, was engaged to be married to a young girl named Mary. But Matthew says before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to understand the context here. Matthew says they were betrothed, but, but many English translations use the word engaged, and so we get confused. Uh, but there is a difference between being engaged and be, between being betrothed. Uh, we, we don't use the word betrothed because it's not part of our culture. It's part of cultures all over the world still, and they understand it uh, differently than we do. And engagement can be casual. Uh, some people, uh, some, pe- some, some people have been dating five minutes and want to be engaged. You feel me? You hit a certain age, you go, hmm, I don't know what we dating for. Like, matter of fact, when I met Sonny, uh, we went on a walk. You know, I mean, where I come from, where you come from, where normal people come from. A walk could be exercise, could be refreshment. Uh, to Sonny, apparently, it was an engagement. Uh, we met, and uh, she was swept off her feet instantly, obviously. She, she could not resist my Jinko jeans or my Timberland boots. (laughs) Uh, I look like a more white vanilla ice. It was a bad scenario is what I'm saying. And she, uh, she was, uh, Twitter pated. She was sprung if you would. And, And so when we went on a walk, it was more than her system could handle. And when we got to her dorm to drop her off, she said, uh, I need to know where this is going. To me, it was going to the dorm. We were there. She said, I need to know where this is going because if you don't think that this is going to end in marriage, we need to just cut all this out. And I was like, cut all this out? We just went from point A to point B. I didn't. I said, can I let you know tomorrow? That was, that was my response. The next thing you know, we were picking out dish sets and 28 years later, we're more in love than we've ever been in love. There was, there's something about engagement that for some people it happens fast. For some people, they've been dating forever. And she's wondering when he's going to finally pull the trigger. Uh, for some people, engagement is just another form of dating. You can be engaged and then not engaged. You can be engaged and then break the, break the engagement off. So it's, it's a challenge when you read that in scripture and you say, Joseph and Mary were engaged. They were not engaged. They were betrothed. There is a difference. In, in that culture, there was a two-step process to marriage. The first step was betrothal. And once a couple was betrothed, They were considered legally married and were referred to from that point forward by everyone who knew them as husband and wife. And the covenant of betrothal 
was unbreakable except through death or legal divorce. Uh, but once a couple was betrothed, they, they were not able to legally consummate the marriage and so after the second step, which was called the taking home. And in between those two steps, in between the betrothal and the taking home, which typically lasted a year, the woman would return to her parents' house and be formally trained on being a wife, and the man would return to his father's house and build an addition on his father's house, or he would go to prepare a place for her. It's why when Jesus is telling his disciples the plan for the crucifixion, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So, so once the groom had finished preparing the place for his bride, he would return for her. They would have a formal ceremony with all their family and all their friends, and they would have a huge feast. It's a foreshadowing of the rapture and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so it's during this preparation period, this, this year-long period of preparation, that Joseph learns his wife, whom he's never been with, is pregnant. And he has a decision to make and understand the pressure that Joseph would have been under. Everyone in his family would have been calling for him to publicly disgrace her because by committing adultery, which was a capital crime, she could have been punished by death. She would have not only been disgracing Joseph, she would have been disgracing his entire family. She would have soiled and stained his family name. She would have been disgracing the Davidic lineage. The consequences to Mary could have been swift and they could have been severe. But Matthew says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, cross that out, put betrothed. Joseph, to whom she was betrothed, watch this, was a righteous man. And he didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to, na you, you are to, you are to name him. You are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And can I just interject here? It's important to note that the first decision by Joseph to show grace and mercy was made before the angel appeared to him. Like his ancestor Ahaz 700 years before, he was at a crisis point. He was at a crossroads in his life. I had to make a seemingly impossible decision, was in a seemingly impossible situation. His reputation, his future, and the future of, this, of, of his descendants was on the line. But unlike Ahaz, he didn't take matters into his own hands. Because he was a righteous man who had a relationship with God, he chose the blessing over the bondage because you'll always trust a God who you have a relationship with. So he decides to trust in the Lord with all his heart and not to lean on his own understanding. Watch this. And when he makes that decision, God confirms it by sending him a message to an angel. And what he learns from the angel causes him to change direction and take Mary as his wife. A decision probably made easier because he hadn't made it a public matter. 
Can some of y'all start dealing with your trash behind closed doors rather than in front of everybody else's face? Can you please stop posting nondescript things for one person that the rest of us have to filter through because all you're looking for is attention. Social media was not designed to be a counselor's couch. So some of you want to air all your nonsense in front of everybody so that when you want to reel it back, can't reel it back because you got everybody else mad at old boy or old girl. And some of you, listen, you got everybody else hooked on second offense and you wonder why your mama don't like your wife because you talk to Bob your wife to your mama when she wasn't your wife. And now all of a sudden, every time she shows up, your mama's like, "Mm, that heifer coming in here with my son trying to think she's going to eat up all my food and drink up all my Kool-Aid and sleep up in my bed and get my sheets dirty with her filth and foulness. And you've done forgot all about it because you ran your mouth Everybody else is going to be mad at them. And you have now positioned this person who you have committed your life to, to a lifetime of challenge and difficulty. So anyway, that's just a side note that wasn't in my notes. You see, it's actually Joseph's first decision to deal with Mary softly that caused him to be called righteous. The second decision is just a response to new information. It's the It's the stability of Joseph's character in the face of an unstable situation that makes it possible for the story to move through to its end. The angel tells Joseph, watch this, his role in the birth of Jesus is to give him his name, which is significant because in the Jewish culture, that was an act of adoption and that allowed Joseph to become the earthly father of our heavenly savior and open the door later on for the apostle Paul to be able to use the imagery of adoption in reference to our relationship with God. It actually intertwined Joseph with Jesus more than he would have been intertwined with Jesus had he been his biological father. See, I wish I, I just had more time because, because uh, in that culture, uh, if you had a baby, Sounds familiar. In this culture, if you had a baby and you didn't want the baby, you could dispose of the baby. Hmm. But if you adopted a baby, you were legally bound to never disown that child. Adopted children in that culture had more rights than biological children. And so when the angel says to Joseph, and you will name him, he was connecting Jesus and Joseph at a, at a level that we have ignored for years. That he, he connected him in a way where Joseph would have actually been more connected to Jesus than he would have had he been the actual. So we discount Joseph because he like kind of dips out of the story quick. But there is a connection between Joseph and Jesus, which causes Jesus to be prophetically called the son of a carpenter, who later on we could then call Paul a master builder because all these things interconnect because this whole whole story has has been foretold and and all of this occurred to restore hope to restore expectation to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet Isaiah who then later in the scripture said look this is to Joseph the virgin will conceive a child she will give birth to a son and they will call they not you they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us, both fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy and restoring the Davidic covenant to have one of his descendants sit on the throne to rule over God's people in perpetuity. So as Advent begins today, 
maybe for you, this isn't a season of hope. It's not a season of expectation. For some of you, you're gonna open up one of those windows on the calendar and where there used to be a spouse or a child, a sibling or a job, the window is gonna be empty. But can I tell you, you are not alone. For unto us, a child is born. Emmanuel, God with us. So whatever it is you're anxiously waiting on, I wonder, what are you gonna do in that waiting? Would you close your eyes all across this place? What are you waiting on? For some of you, you've been waiting on a relationship with Jesus. In this church culture, we call that salvation. Salvation really is just receiving the adoption process. That of all the people on the earth, God, God identified you as someone who he wanted to be their, his son or to be his daughter. I wonder if you felt alone. I wonder if you felt empty. I wonder if there's been a void that Billy Graham calls it a God-sized hole in your heart that can only be filled by him. And so this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And it's really a two-step process. It's, uh, it's accomplished through confession and profession. Confessing that you've got sin in your life and professing that you believe that Jesus can eradicate that sin. And so if you're here today, I want to give you the opportunity to do both of those things. And here's how. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask for people to do two things. First is with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus but want one to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down. That's your act of confession. Secondly, I'm going to say a few lines of a prayer that I'm going to pause and ask everybody in here to repeat what it is that I just prayed. And if you repeat it, you mean it in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. So if you're here, you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like one before I leave with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks. 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 Cool. I'm going to ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life. I don't want it. Please take it. Please forgive it. Make me different. Forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, uh, maybe you're here and you're saved. You're going to heaven. Um, you, you've lost expectation. I don't, I don't know if it's the expectation of a relationship with someone, if it's expectation of your career, if it's, maybe you've lost expectation of God. Maybe you feel like you've been praying for something for so long that it hasn't happened. Listen, 700 years, they waited for Emmanuel. How long is too long? If that's you and you say, uh, Sean, I've lost my sense of expectation. I wanna pray for you. If that's you with nobody looking around, would you just pop your hand up? Yeah, 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 so many people. God, we love you and thank you that you are the God of hope that there is nothing that you can't do, that God, I expect you to move. I expect you to heal, to save, to overcome, to overwhelm my friends. So do that today in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew On That. The Chew On That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week.